Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, everybody. That's not bad. Matthew's got you birds trained, hasn't he? Yeah, that's not bad at all. The... um, my first wife probably wants me to say to you women that the books for the next Bible study are back there. Um, she chased them down and got them here. And uh, if she sits back there by herself and, and doesn't move much, why, she has, she's been sick at home, so don't kiss her because you don't want what she's had. And... Um, It appears to me, uh, since we're uh, in this particular series, and that it is a fact that Matthew is the one that, that laid it out, and I still don't understand why he gives me the ones, well, I do, that he doesn't want to mess with. You would think, you would think that there would be sufficient respect for his father that that wouldn't happen. Evidently, it doesn't happen that way. Because we're really talking about God's design. He, he you know, the, the subject for this series, the divine design, has to do with money and things. And um, the reason this is dealt with so much in Scripture is because it probably is the number one competitor that God has to deal with. Now, understand something about money. It's a good thing. There are several things that, and the better things are, when they're abused, they're worse than anything. It goes from one extreme to the other. And... um, and money is one of those things that, uh, and, and money and things, uh, you, if you were to break them down, and we'll talk, this will be touched on a little later on, there's several ways, you know, there's land uh, that has value. There's, uh, believe it or not, in Jesus' age, um, clothing was a big issue in, in developing um, things of monetary value. That's the reason when Jesus died on the cross and they took his cloak that was seamless, that had been, it was a very expensive piece of material, and they actually, you remember, shot craps for it to see who got it. Um, and it's because it was often uh, the means. Sex is really a good thing, part of God's design. But when it's abused, It's horrible. So there are many of these things that we can talk about. And money itself is not bad. It's a good thing. Because you see, in itself, it isn't bad. People misquote the scripture all the time and get all messed up. You'll hear people say, money is the root of all evil. It isn't. Money is just stuff that is used to establish the value of other stuff. 
and it is a useful tool. And some of it, you recall, it's not always the way we have it. The Romans and and the Persians and the Egyptians all had metallic. Uh, they could make metal from copper, and they they learned to strike coins, and and it became a means of establishing value. But it's a good thing. But its abuse actually becomes idolatry. And you have to keep that in mind. That's what the scripture teaches. The abuse of money and things can become idol worship. Because they can actually become uh, a type of God. And, and we'll touch on that. An interesting article came out just recently. And it was quoted by Eric Metaxas uh, in, uh, in a paper that I take. And it's an article that was in the Atlantic, and, uh, and it deals with the grim truth about us as Americans and how we, view, how we view things and money. And this is just uh, uh, some research that was done that I found to be interesting and yet concerning. It reads that uh, in 2017, Americans spent $240 billion, that's with a bead, on jewelry, watches, books, luggage, yeah, and telephones. I mean, you think about that for a minute, it starts making sense when you start talking about telephones. Because most intelligent people who are secure in, and men, in particular in their manhood, have a flip phone. <laughs> but those who are struggling with their manhood buy an iPhone. You can deal with that any way you want to. Now then, twice as much as inflation-adjusted dollars in 2002. So between 2002 and 2017, that doubled. During that time, the population grew only 13%. And spending on personal products doubled. Now, it didn't go into, into talking about personal products in, in great detail in other than what the, we've already talked about. I'm assuming that it's, you know, psh, 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 and, and, you know, I, uh, women, uh, you, you never know what you're seeing around the eyes that's real and not. And most men... Probably the day, on their morning after their their wedding day were in temporary shock. What they saw without the uh, store bought accessories on their face. But I happen to think it's a good thing, and I'm all for painting the barn if it needs it. So that's okay. Now to continue reading, it says to hold all this stuff. We're supersizing our houses and storage facilities. I can tell you that when I grew up, there were no such thing as storage facilities. Last year, the average size of the single-family home in the United States was 2,426 square feet. 
That's a 23% increase in size in the last 20 years. Meanwhile, two decades ago, 20 years ago, there were 26,000 of these self-storage units all around the United States. Today, there are 52,000. Now, I understand how that works, believe it or not, because we sold our house a few years ago, and Alice Kay had uh, one of these things where you put a whole bunch of stuff in the driveway and the garage and people come and buy it It's because we were downsizing and going to an apartment. When she got through selling all that stuff, and I never did find out where the money went, but, but when she got through selling all of that stuff, we had enough stuff left over that we go down to Bob Pollock's and rent it one of those storage units to put the rest of it in. And we still have some furniture and books and I don't know what all in those containers that are stacked this high. There's pictures from the past. I don't know what all. And, and we keep saying we're going to go through it and da-da-da-da-da. But uh, for some reason or that gets put off. And so there's the collection of stuff. Now, all of that stuff down there, obviously, we don't need because we only go look at it about three times a year. You pay every month. So we have leftover stuff in abundance. And I suspect that we're not much different from a lot of other people because... You can't rent another place down there because they're all full. And there's several of them around the county. Now, the accumulation of stuff, just for the sake of accumulating stuff, is condemned in the scriptures as abuse of something that's otherwise good. Because all through the scripture, you'll be able to see that money has the capacity for doing a wonderful amount of good. And we have a tendency sometimes to overlook that the good that it can do and just talk about the bad. We need to talk about the bad, but at the same time we want to hold out here its original design by God as something that was really good and useful and helpful to a lot of people. And things have greatly changed in my lifetime. My parents grew up and were married before, just right before the Great Depression. And my father was able to get a job working for his brother-in-law, who was a big landowner, Uncle Robbie, for 50 cents a day and felt like he was fortunate. And... My oldest brother was born in 1934, and actually the, the Depression was still on. I don't even, I heard my parents talk about it, I heard their words, but to experience what they're talking about, I have the foggiest idea of what that's like. Because people were standing in line by the thousands just to get a, a cup of soup. We see those pictures. But the Bible says, watch out now, because, you see, as a result of that, and my parents coming through it, 
we were taught that other than health issues, there wasn't anything wrong that couldn't be fixed if you had enough money. We really believe that. And we were taught, listen, we want you to grow up so you don't have to go through what we went through growing up. And the way you keep from doing that is by the accumulation of money. And so men in particular, because not many women worked in public until after the war, or during the war it started, during the Second World War. Then it's mushroom from there. And we were, because my mother was a school teacher, and when I've got one of the their receipts, and for the tax purposes in my office, I can show you, she was making $1,500 a year. And glad to, do, to, to get the job. I don't remember the year. So what we need to do is to spend some time to see if we can get our arms around how God designed all this to happen and how does it go wrong and what are the problems when it does go wrong. You see, so we grew up in an age where it was the accumulation of money was the primary source of your security. And we were told, and I think rightly so, that women look for men that they think will provide, I mean, this is in my lifetime, enough security for them to build their nest and have their babies. And I must have looked pretty good. And actually I did, but I looked pretty good as a result of an old guy who looked at me and adopted me among, with some other boys. I mean, he'd probably get in trouble today and be accused of some kind of sexual abuse or something, but it wasn't true. He was from Vanceburg or down in Lewis County. His name was Alva West. And uh, the first time I ever... And, and he, he bought my first bicycle, first ball glove. He bought me uh, three, at least three cows. Uh, and um, and he, I was included in his will that permitted me to buy a 1953 Ford Victoria with sexy lights in the back seat. That was the singular reason why Alice K. chased me and caught me. Because when you look like me, you got to have help. And that worked out pretty good. Because I'm telling you, folks, in Carter County, Kentucky, she was the pick of the litter. She was a good looker. And I thought they had money because they drove a big, uh, big old Buick. I found out they just had good credit. <laughs> but anyway, you know, but today things have, have gone from over here where we think that money would fix everything except health, and it would help with that. And it swung all the other way because at that time, fathers in particular worked and they didn't have time to be the buddy with their children. My father wasn't my buddy. He was my dad. And he didn't play ball with us. He watched us. Unless he had work to do. Now, it's gone 180 degrees of the day. Where fathers are their children's pal and buddy. And they don't worry about the money. They go to college. When I got through college, I owed nothing. 
primarily because of Mr. West. He left me enough money in a will, and I wasn't the only one. There's four or five others. First time I ever met this old guy, I took a rooster that Daddy had let me grow on the farm as my rooster, and I took him to Brock Brothers Grain Company in Maysville, and I laid him down, and I, and I walked in with him. The old man standing behind the scale said, uh, the fellow said, is that your rooster? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, put him on the scales, and you get on there with him. And so he, and that gave me a little piece of paper. I went in the office, and he paid me. He paid me for the rooster and for my weight, too, at the same amount per pound that he paid for the rooster. So I came back out, and I, had, I was rich. And, I, and, and my father asked him, he said, why did you do that? He said, because when I asked him whose rooster it was, if it was his rooster, he said, yes, sir. And I learned then, being mannerly pays off. So I'm, I'm one of these fortunate guys, really. And uh, uh, Alice Kay and I, because we were raised in that same philosophy, we worked like coal mine mules to make sure that when our children got out of college, they didn't owe anything either. And all five of them finished college without owing a penny to anybody. We paid it as we went. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked and can't hardly believe it when I find out that children are graduating from college in four years of college and owe thirty, fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 worth of school bills. How in the heck? I mean, that's three times more than we paid for our first house. And they haven't even got a job yet. And so you look at that, and, you, and so what they're saying is, we would rather have the relationship of, of, of our parents being our pals who drive us here, take us there, do the, da, da, and eat hamburgers, and, just, and women, I mean, Lord have mercy, they never eat supper together at the table at the same time. We had some of the most glorious family fights at the supper table. We laugh about them. It's wonderful. Did you ever watch Blue Bloods? They do the same thing. That's where they got it from old cusses like us. I even, mother and daddy even had a glorious fight one time. Mother threw down her, her, her uh, fork or spoon, whatever it was, and left the table. And daddy said, she'll be back. Anybody want tea? I mean... Uh, you, know, you never forget that because they stayed married and, and, and it was dad that I first heard I'm certain it was just a common saying when we asked him we'd be stripping tobacco together in the barn three of us boys and dad and we'd say you know, did your mother ever consider divorce because we'd seen some of those wonderful fights he said no murder a few times but never divorce because you just a divorce was and now divorces are no fault divorces you can have them and nobody's at fault <laughs> both of them are always is and so and and so we've gone that 180 and now we've got kids starting off in life if if both of them have gone to school they may come out with a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt and then they go borrow money to buy a car I don't see how they make it. 
surely to goodness in there somewhere there's a there's a the right place to be i don't exactly know where that is but between relationships and and because the bible says this it says a man who doesn't care for his own especially of his own household has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel now that's strong talk i think and so it troubles me when I see children going and facing life because the biggest fights that families, have, that husbands and wives have is usually over money. Now the Bible, being both the Old and the New Testament, spends an awful lot of time talking about this very problem. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it reads this way. This is in the fifth chapter. And it probably is the basis of a lot of the stuff that's written in the New. It reads like this. And it's probably written by the, considered the wisest old codger in the Old Testament, probably Solomon himself, who wrote, Whoever loves money never has enough of it. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet. Why? Because he got paid every day at the end of his day. Whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Now the assumption is there that he stays awake worrying about it. And, and, and I've actually done that. I don't know whether you had trouble sleeping because of, 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 of monetary problems or not. But I have. I've been going through one recently, Alice Kay and I both. We sold, which is a miracle, we sold a timeshare in Mexico. Mexico is one of the most corrupt, crookedest places on the face of the earth. And so will we get paid? Because there's a lot of con artists in that business who cheat and rob people. It's, you know. And, 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 and I had, you know, I had made a deal with God. I said, you, 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 you get this fixed for me. You know, it's kind of like a lottery. I hear people say, man, if I win the lottery, the church is going to be paid off. I win the lottery. We make deals with God on, man, how good we are. But all of us who make those deals are forgetful. And so, you know, I was making the deal. I said, now, Lord, if you pull this off, I'll be able to give each of my five children $1,000. And I made the mistake of telling my children. <laughs> because... Everybody would like to have a few buckaroos. And Amy, actually, is the only one, I think, that needs it because she has a little boy that's autistic and, and a lot, and they moved to Cincinnati to get to a school, and her husband was fortunate enough to get, for his uh, boss to say, that's a good thing, we need you down there anyway, and, 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 and there's, there have been additional expenses because of the problems this little guy has of dealing with autism. And they've really worked hard at trying to help him to be able to function in life. And my oldest daughter said, Dad, 
I don't need the money, so give Amy two. I said, well, why don't we just do it this way? You don't get any, and I'll give her one. I was having fun. Okay. Now then, with that all said, Jesus then addressed this subject of money on the, on, on the basis of trying to help you and me develop a philosophy of how to handle money so that it is a blessing and not a curse. So that it allows you to sleep good at night instead of staying about, worrying about it. Because if you stay awake like I did and worry about it, it means that you've put too much value on it. Now, when you turn over in the New Testament, there are several passages of Scripture, and if you want to turn to one and keep it, I would turn to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. But Jesus was talking to, uh, to, uh, to his disciples, and, and he, would, he was trying to get them to get it figured out too because they were struggling with it. They were just working people. And here in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew, in verse 26, Jesus asked them this question. And, and before he did that, he said, now here's what you need to know. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to wear my name as Christ, you need to know that I have to be first in your life. Above all other things, if you want to get to... Because that's why in Matthew, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall go to hell. But you said, Well, I did all this religious... Well, I healed the sick, I did all... And he would say, But I'm telling you this. I never knew you. Because you were just performing religious acts for your own benefit instead of seeing that I got the glory. And, and for you to be blessed, your life needs to be constructed so that, I get, that God gets the glory. Let your light shine for men that others may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. The idea is that you and I, to have a blessed life, will live it and in such a way, including our finances, so that God is glorified. It isn't always easy. And he said, he put it like this, he said, if, if you think more of your mother and your father than you do me, you struck out. You've got to be willing to put me first. I remember one time I had spent weeks just busy, busy, busy counseling divorcees. And finally, Alice Kay came to me and she said, look. And she can be a tough old hombre. She looks so sweet, you know, as a 79-year-old helpless little woman. Oh, Lord, she ain't helpless. And she said, and justifiably so, I see now. She said, look, I don't mind you putting God first in your life. I think we both should do that, but I ought to be number two. And she meant I should be giving her more time. We won't push that any further, just so you'll know what I'm talking about. And then after Jesus said, if you put anything before God, 
meant to his disciples, which meant before him, in order to get just what you like and want, you're not really my disciple. You're using your religious faith to benefit you instead of using it to see that God gets the glory. And he went to a lot of trouble I don't have time to deal with. But, and he said, so I'm going to ask you some tough questions. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So it raises some interesting questions. Let's assume that you like Hezekiah in the Old Testament, who was the king of Israel and a pretty good one. And the prophet came to him and says, Hez, you're, you're going to die. And Hezekiah just got the shakes. And he said, God, it, just let me live uh, a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. If you were lying on your deathbed and you know you weren't saved, you didn't know for sure you were going to go to heaven when you died. Laying on your deathbed. Is there anything that you own that you would rather keep than go to heaven? Whatever that is, is your God because you've put it before God. And that's what Jesus is trying to get this message across. And, and he deals with it with the parables in Luke starting at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16th chapter, when Jesus really, that's primarily what he's talking about. Because, as I said at the outset, money is the, and things are the primary, are the primary competitors with Jesus in your life and mine. If I were to point to somebody who had the most influence on me and has been the greatest blessing as far as financial um, philosophy, it probably was John Wesley who founded the Methodist Church. When Wesley was a student at Oxford in England, his total income for a year was 30 pounds. Now that doesn't make much sense to you if you've never been, don't know what pounds, shillings and all that, doesn't matter. He lived on 28 and gave two away. After he graduated and, and got out into the world making a living, his income doubled and tripled and four times. He continued all of those years to live on 28 pounds a year and the rest of it he gave away. What has worked really good for Alice Kay and me is, you know, whatever our income was, the first 10% went to the Lord. 10%, next 10% went into a savings account, get the best interest possible. And I've told several of you, 
You know, we're able to live where we live, and it's a pretty nice place, really. Down at the lofts, there over the coffee house, they come in every two weeks and run the vacuum cleaner. They change and wash the sheets on the bed and change them, and they dust the place, take care, because lifting those old mattresses and those fitted sheets, that's hard on Alice Kay. She, in fact, she doesn't do it. She tells me, you take them off. Being the hoss that I am, that's easy. But they come in and do that and wash them and put them back on, make the beds back, clean the bathrooms. I don't have to scrub the toilet, praise God. And the reason we can do that is when we sold our house and it was paid for and reinvested the money, Solomon Foundation gives us 5%. And, they, and you go to the bank, you were getting like 0.3% or something, maybe nothing on, on the savings account. And so the interest off that gives us $12,000 a year and, and we're home free. And so... And I watched people struggling with that, and I told Matthew, I said, you know what I need to do? I need to have a class here for, for these young ones, and maybe some old ones too, on how to get out of debt, and two, how to stay out of debt, and three, how to prepare for the day you die for what you've collected, what you've earned. Because you're, if you own your house and some other things, you're a lot richer than you think you are. And I don't believe in leaving anything so that it goes to the probate and, and they get percentage of it. I don't want Obama or Clinton or Bush or uh, goofy old tr Trump. I don't want them to get any of it. And if you do it right, they won't. It'll go to where you want it to go. That's all doable. And it's not expensive to do. I would much rather, whatever that would be, just write heaven to write a check to the church. Because the Bible says, lay for, rather than laying up treasures here on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. And I often wondered, what the heck does that mean anyway? Well, I know now, I did my research. The Bible clearly states this. That if you use your resources to help the poor, that's what treasures in heaven are. If you use your resources just to help yourself. Now, please don't misunderstand me. You need to take care of your family. But if you, if you accumulate things just because you enjoy accumulating things. I have a, a, a friend whose wife accumulates... Uh, antiques. And you can't hardly get, and they got a big, big old house in Columbus, and you can't hardly get through there for antiques. And she came within an ace of dying just the other day with a stroke. And my question to her husband is what are the value of all those antiques to her now, you reckon? Because she thought she was dying. I thought she was dying. Treasures in heaven, what are they? And it also says this, that there are different kinds of greed. This is in the 12th chapter. 
of, of the book of Luke where I put down there for it. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I couldn't figure out what are all kinds of greed. Well, it took me some digging, but I finally figured it out. What are the things that we said are good that can be misused and become bad? There's land and jewelry and clothing and da, 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 all those things. And Jesus told that story about this guy. He, he said he'd really been blessed. He was a farmer. And his crops had gone from 50 bushel an acre to 100 bushel an acre. And so he said, you know what I'm going to do? Instead of giving away the extra that he didn't need, he said, I'm going to build me bigger, tear these barns down and make my silos bigger. That'll take care of it. And then Jesus was, this was a story, a parable. And parables are a simple little story to prove a point. And the point was this. Of what value is that extra that he doesn't need for a man when he dies? And Jesus actually concluded that statement with this. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? See, the principle is this. When God blesses you, do you keep it for yourself and make you the center of everything? Or do you use it to take care of yourself and your family and to see that God is glorified by your behavior? Because the Bible teaches that the blessed life, the happy, you know, <coughs> the happiest people are the people who live on a budget and, and stay within it so they can have resources to help other people. You know why that's true? Because Jesus said, and the Bible teaches, that it is more blessed to, than to why? Because if you have to receive it, and receiving is really enjoyable to the flesh. This past week or maybe 10 days ago, I don't remember when it was, somebody sent Alice Kay and me $50 because I think they felt sorry for how hard she was working for us to go out and eat. I mean, we headed for the river so fast that you couldn't see anything but smoke behind her. And got us a, and we split a 16-ounce steak. She gets half. She got the biggest half. And, and, and she got her a, 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 one of those sweet potatoes that they put all of the brown sugar in and everything. Gained six pounds. But anyway, anyway it, was, it was really enjoyable. But I will bet you money, and I could ask the person because you, you'd know who it was if I told you, I'll bet you they enjoyed giving it more than we did even when we were sitting down there getting rid of it. Why? Because it's more blessed. Because if you're in a position where you have to receive in order to get by, that and, and you become the object of charity, that's never enjoyable. But if you're the one who can bless that person who is in need, I mean, it, 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 is, it is an exhilarating satisfying thing 
and especially if you don't crow about it. Because Jesus said, if you go out and crow about it, that's all the reward you're going to get. But if you do it because you just want God to be glorified in that, because you see, the way we glorify, the primary way that we glorify God is by how we treat other people. That's the bottom line. And our primary responsibility is to take care of the people within our own, first of all, our own physical family, and secondly, our own church family. We don't, we're not responsible for taking care of everybody in Greenup County and Sauda County and Lewis County. We're responsible for taking care of our own first. If you got any leftover, okay, share it with wherever you want to. But that's our primary responsibility. And even though we've gone through just kind of a hell of an experience in the last 18 months, I can tell you this, we were able to maintain $10,000 in savings in case one of you had your house burned down so we could go to your house and give you a check for ten grand and say, here, get you a place to leave and some clothes to wear and blah, 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 blah. And that's happened three times in the 47 years we've been here. One of the times, the guy even paid us back, even though it wasn't required. It was a gift. And not a loan. He who should take care of his own, especially of his own household, and you all are under the same roof. And I guarantee you, if your house burns down before the smoke is cleared, we'll be there with a check to put in your hands for you to use as you see fit. Why? Because that's in keeping with the design that God has said works best for everybody. I close down at the bottom of that, and I could be here for another hour easy enough, but I'm, I'll get you out on time. I close with a question at the bottom of the page there asking you what you would like for your net worth to be the, the day you died. Let me tell you what the ideal one is. And I'll tell you about somebody who did it. And it's my goal. You should be worth zero. Now, I've seen people with a lot of money be able to do that. And I'll even tell you who it was. Because Abby Glockner and I were friends for a lot of years. And he and I were talking. He said, you know, Scott, the day I die, I intend to be a pauper. I said, Abby, how are you going to do that? He said, it's doable. I said, I've talked to the lawyers and, and financial people. It's doable. And two months before he died, Abby Glockner was a pauper. He owned nothing. His family actually had to take care of him. I went to visit him one day. They have a place over on the river in Kentucky because, you know, he wanted to know what heaven's going to be like when he got there. And so he was, he was at the house over there, and, uh, and Alice Kay and I went over to spend a little time with him. And he was sitting out reading outside of the table, and, and I went over and sat down with him. And he was still really sharp. Two months before then, he became a pauper. And I went over to talk to him just a minute to say, because uh, Timmy had told me his grandson, he said, you know, he's, he's kind of losing it up here. And so I, I said, and poor, I said, and he looked at me and he said, Scott, you really look good. And before I sat down, he repeated it. I told Tim when we got back in the car, I said, Tim, I thought you said he was losing it. <laughs> he's sharp as a razor. What are you talking about? 
Because you see, if, if you, and that's one of the reasons I want to have a class in here for you. It won't cost you anything. It'll actually cost you some to get it done, but I, I don't want anything for it. But it's doable. I don't care if you're worth a million or two million. You don't want it to go to probate. You're sending the money then to Trump. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need it. You can actually fix it so it doesn't go to probate. It's rather simple to do. You want to use your resources to take care of your own family first, take care of your church family second, and anything that's left over, you can, we can send to Uganda or whatever. And by the way, we're going to this year, Matthew just gave me the high sign, we're going to go ahead this year and have a Thanksgiving dinner. And um, David said it's doable and, and whatever. Anyway, anyway, we're going to do it. And we're going to, uh, there, there'll be a limited number of tickets because you have to tell the people who do the cooking how much they cook for, how many they're going to cook for, and so on and so forth. So th those tickets will be on sale next week. And we don't make anything off of it. it just, we charge $3, and that takes care of the, the table coverings and the pop and all that kind of stuff. So there, you know, there's, we want to come together as a family. And speaking of the Uganda, I want to have, during that evening, I want you all to listen to some of the stories of the life from Patrick and Eddie. I think you'll really enjoy it. These are two rare young men who have personality, they have intelligence, they have ambition, they have integrity. And I think you'll really enjoy hearing them. Alice Kay and I'll be leaving on the 27th of this month, going back to Uganda for a couple of weeks. And we're going to go with, a, with, a, with a, a story to tell. The people who run, Susie who runs the Ritz, she's here this morning. She's the one that gave the little girls all those dresses to wear for the, for the pictures out there, for the thing you all had the other night. There's a, there's a possibility, 50-50 possibility that we can offer the people who go to the church in Cotway, which is the third biggest slum in, in all of, you, of, of all of Africa. Three quarters of a million people there are living in squalor like you cannot imagine. And right in the middle of it is a church building the same size as ours here. I'll be preaching there while I'm there. And they can take all of those chairs, there are no pews, take all the chairs out of the way, put up tables, and train people there so that they can make 50 maybe maybe $50 a week in time when they learn how to do it. And I said, Patrick, can, how does that sound? He said, 50, no, Eddie said, $50 a week? He said, hey, $50 a month and they'd be rich. So it's something for you all to pray about. God's design is that we can use our resources to bless people who maybe have $10 a month and live on it with a family in slums. And if you, don't, if you get on your internet and look up the queen, it's a movie called The Queen of Cutway. It's a little girl there who couldn't read and write, who was taken in by a Christian missionary taught and she had a propensity for 
playing chess. She became a world-class chess player. Her goal in life was to be able to build a house for her mother so they could get out of the slums. She made it, and it's in that movie. Look at it. It'll, it'll show you the slums of Cotway, where we'll be. The little boy that we support, Jerry, he's seven years old now. We pay $40 a month for his care. That's two pairs of clothing, all the food he can eat, and all of his school bills for $40 a month in a really nice place called Destiny where we have sent a lot of stuff. They found him 17 months old walking in Cotway in the slums, naked as a jaybird, and wondering why he was still alive. They took him to the hospital. They found out he was healthy. We took him out to Destiny, and he's been there ever since. I took him his first Bible, his little picture Bible. I took him a, a little soccer ball. I'm telling you, folks, from personal experience, it's more blessed to give than to get. Create a philosophy that allows you to do it and enjoy sharing so that God gets the glory. Amen? Lord, dismiss us with your richest favor. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.